Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome, Dirt Radio. That's where we are and it's John Langer here with you this morning. Dirt Radio, sponsored by Friends of the Earth. And I have to say, I let you know that Radiothon is coming up. That's a very important occasion every year for 3CR, keeping us on air and keeping Dirt Radio on air as well. Well, this week, big picture issues. Donald Trump Will he or won't he stay in or pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement? And is the scale of advance of climate change so rapid and so unprecedented and so dire that our only hope of saving the planet is a type of mobilization similar to what happened in World War II? Pretty big issues. Well, let me start with a quote, and this is a columnist from The New Statesman recently writing, Why do I feel so angry and anxious about Trump? Because he makes me feel as if I'm losing my mind. Luke Kemp's been watching the Donald as he hobbles and wavers and denies around the issue of climate change. Luke's a lecturer at the Australian National University, and he works in the area of climate and and environment policy. And he's also attached to the Earth System Governance Project, which is hosted by Lund University in Sweden. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm not sure if Trump is making you feel like you're losing your mind, but I do know that uh, you're thinking a lot about the Paris Climate Agreement and whether the, we could all be better off if the United States could actually be pulling out of it. And I wanted to ask you to start with, the conventional wisdom says that the United States should remain committed to the 2016 Paris Climate Agreement. You say this is wrong and that the U.S. and the Trump administration can actually do more damage inside the agreement than being outside of it. Now, I want to turn to something that you've been thinking about and discussing, is, and you call it the domino effect, because this might have some bearing on Australia's climate policy or lack of it. Yeah, so before we launch into the domino effect and looking at the risks and the opportunities of a Trump withdrawal, um, just as a quick note, my entire PhD thesis is actually on managing U.S. participation. So this is something I've been thinking about for an unfortunately long period of my life. I think it's interesting that so many people are going insane from Trump, if that was the quote. For me, Trump, of course, he's a somewhat volatile. Of course, in his rhetoric, he's auto vain. But when you actually look at his actions, most of them are rather predictable in terms of the Republican Party. I think most people are being distracted by the man Trump rather than focusing on the institution, which is the Republican Party, which is why I think it's likely Trump will withdraw, because the Republicans have it as part of their energy platform. So I think it's important to realize that Trump is an aberration. This was bound to happen sooner or later. The Republicans are a denier institution. This is not a Trump phenomenon. It's a Republican phenomenon. Now, the reason why I think it would be a good idea 
for the U.S. to withdraw rather than stay in, why that would be better for the international community, is really just a simple kind of risk opportunity analysis. So when you look at the risks, I think there's a lot more risks associated with the U.S. remaining in the agreement. A rogue administration can do more damage under Paris than it can do outside of Paris. So there's four different risks. There's the U.S. missing its target, the U.S. cutting climate financing, the U.S. sparking that domino effect that you mentioned, and finally the U.S. acting as an instructionist in the negotiations. Now, those first two, missing the target and cutting climate financing, they're likely to happen, and they're going to happen regardless of Paris. So Paris is divorced mm. from the actions of the U.S. Paris only requires the U.S. to afford a new pledge every five years. It doesn't actually require Trump or any other president to meet that pledge. So that's one thing to get out of the way, is that the actions of the U.S. will happen regardless of Paris. Mm. So mm. moving on to the domino effect, which is the one everyone is really worried about. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's I mean, really... Domino, yeah, sorry, that's, that's actually the one that I'm yeah. thinking might have an effect directly in, re- in relation to Australia, but also, as you point out, to other countries as well. The domino effect, for those of you listening at home, is this idea that if Trump withdraws or does any other kind of action... It could impact the actions of others and cause them to delay, to renege on their targets, or to withdraw as well. Now, I think it's worthwhile here quickly clarifying between what I like to call a hard domino effect and a soft domino effect. So the hard domino effect is the idea of other countries active withdrawing and Paris slowly being abandoned. The soft effect is simply that, that countries are less likely to take on more ambitious targets than they would have otherwise. So... It's still very dangerous because we need to actually be ratcheting up targets very, very quickly. Um, but it's far less hysterical than that of the hard domino effect. I think most people right now are thinking of a hard domino, and I don't think that's going to happen. When you actually think about it, right now, Trump, I mean, the guy is basically an international pariah. It seems highly unlikely that most of the country is going to follow him out into the woods mm. purely to avoid putting forward a pledge every five years. I mean, sure, a couple of hard right-wingers like Corey Venati may call for it, but realistically, mm. for most more centrist leaders, it's essentially all political loss and no political gain. Mm. And for developing countries, they're putting their funding at risk. There's a big chance they won't get any funding from the likes of Europe if they will draw. Mm. Mm. So I think that idea of a hard domino effect is unlikely. The soft could happen, but when you look at it, most countries are dictating their targets and their pledges not on what the U.S. is doing. They're doing it based upon national interests. China is doing it for air pollution. Europe and Germany, mainly to get a comparative advantage in the emerging technology markets of the 25th century, I don't think they're going to scale things back because one crazy cheeto-head mm. man decides to pull out the U.S. Um, it just seems mm. rather impossible. Mm. I, I think what could happen is simply that, you, that the Paris Agreement loses its legitimacy, that Paris becomes far less persuasive in terms of pressuring countries. And that's, at the end of the day, all that Paris really had was political pressure. But Let, that's so, just as likely to happen if... Sorry, go on, John. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was just going to uh, come in with uh, another risk that you, you did mention, and maybe you're going to cover this in, in, in a little bit of detail. You were coming to this, but you say that uh, the United States might, might end up being acting as a spoiler in, in, in the climate talks. What, what do you mean by that? So if the U.S. remains in the agreement, 
they keep a veto. The climate negotiations work by consensus. So every country, particularly the powerful ones, have a procedural veto. For me, this is why people like Rex the current Secretary of State and the former head of Exxon I never thought I'd be saying that, um, wants to keep food at the table. And what happened to all companies are calling for the U.S. to remain in Paris. It's because the U.S. under Tillerson can very easily act in negotiations. And right now, it's quite When negotiating the Paris rulebook, all the details and provisions and rules of how Paris will work, that's supposed to be decided upon by the end of next year. If the U.S. stays in, particularly after it's threatened to withdraw, it'll have a huge amount of leverage. And giving that leverage to Trump and Tillerson is a very bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one risk you have if the U.S. remains in, but it's a risk that is the very least negated or nullified if the U.S. Yes, if they le- actually withdraw. leave, yes. Look, the other thing yeah. I, I was going to... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to just quickly mention, I think that um, when we talk about a domino effect, it's important to keep in mind that that's just as likely to happen if the U.S. stays in, I think. Paris loses legitimacy. If you have a country staying under the agreement, which blatantly violates the very spirit and purpose of the agreement, cuts client financing, starts building new pipelines, and this is just target intentionally, and there's nothing the agreement can do, people around the world will realize at that point just how weak Paris is. The US will basically make a mockery of the entire process and show that Paris is, in reality, a trophy agreement. It looks nice, but it doesn't actually do anything. Now let's move on to something a little bit more positive uh, out of the American sphere. Mm-hmm. Part of your discussion, I, I think, again, this is really interesting, is that you're saying there's lots of interesting and important opportunities that will arise as a result of the Americans actually leaving and renewed interest, for example, renewed possibilities in Europe and China in terms of leadership, in particular in relation to renewables. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I think there's two big opportunities that come about from withdrawal. It's worthwhile keeping in mind here that if the U.S. remains, it's business as usual. I don't think we can expect any new or radical proposals coming on board. If they withdraw, particularly in this geopolitical age of rising nationalism, two distinct opportunities emerge. The first of all is trade measures. So former French President Francis Hollande mentioned the idea of placing a carbon border tax on U.S. imports. And this has been discussed previously in the European Commission. It was actually even part of legislation in the U.S. at one stage. This is the idea that you place a border tax against U.S. imports based on their carbon content. And that could be incredibly powerful. When you look at the history of international agreements and international institutions like the World Trade Organization or the Montreal Protocol on ozone-depleting substances, they almost are always characterized by trade measures. So that's something that could come back on board if Trump does the diplomatically drastic action of withdrawing. And the second one is that the EU and China could really step up and take stronger action. So when you look at the Kyoto Protocol and look at history, when the US refused to ratify the Kyoto Protocol after signing it, Europe took it upon itself to basically single-handedly resuscitate the Kyoto Protocol. It leveraged other countries into joining it itself took on stronger targets. This is a time when Germany and Denmark really pioneered wind and solar technology and dropped the cost to everyone else. If Europe and China can make the world's most powerful mm. carbon block in response, mm. if they decide that the U.S. abdicating its responsibility mm. gives them a chance to both corner the market but also to take control of an international issue, 
They could, for example, bring their both their emissions trading schemes together, apply a common border tariff against the US and make them the world's most powerful carbon club. And that would be far more pa- powerful and far more effective than Paris ever could have been. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, Luke. Look, I, there's, there's uh, mo- many more questions I would, I would really like to ask you, but we're running out of time, unfortunately, and our show is, is, is all but brief, I have to say. So thanks so much for being on Dirt Radio this morning. No worries. My pleasure, John. Talking there with Luke Kemp. He's a lecturer at the Australian National University in Climate and Environment Policy, and he works with the Earth System Governance Project at the Lund University in Sweden. And his discussion, which I found in the conversation, we'll put it on our Dirt Radio website, and uh, it will be attached to our podcast as well. This is Dirt Radio, and we are 3CR. Are you concerned about the growing threat of nuclear weapons? Join the Women's March to Ban the Bomb on the 17th of June in cities across Australia. It's women-led but inclusive of all. Go to womenbanthebomb.org for details. Voice your support for the UN negotiations now underway on a treaty to outlaw nuclear weapons and protest against Australia's shameful boycott of these historic talks. 17th of June, womenbanthebomb.org. The International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons Australia is a 3CR supporter. The 3CR annual Radiothon is almost here. All donations over $2 are tax deductible. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. To donate, just call 03 9419 8377 or online at 3cr.org.au. Help keep this mighty station going strong for many more years to come. Radiothon 2017 3CR Radio for Change. Big picture issues going this week. Now, I want you to pick your climate disaster for this week. Now, here's just a few that passed through my digital landscape in the past seven days, and this is in no particular order. 70% of the shallow water corals are dead north of Port Douglas in Australia. The city of Cape Town declared a national disaster because of drought and water shortages. The beaches along the Great Ocean Road have just had sand top-ups due to erosion and sea level rises, and in fact they're thinking about, talking about moving the Great Ocean Road inland. A study from Potsdam Institute of Climate Impact in Germany says planting trees, no matter how many you're going to plant, will never cut it in terms of CO2 abatement and may even be harmful to national ecosystems. And here's the kicker for me, Global warming might affect how well we sleep at night, according to a recently released report. Now, more and more it's occurring to me, and I'm thinking very deeply about this, no matter how much we're doing for climate change, we need to work faster, we need to work harder. And in fact, some people are suggesting that if governments don't act now, it's pretty much curtains for the planet. Bryony Edwards is our next guest. She's in the studio here, and she's probably got her own picks of the week in terms of disasters and climate change. But she also holds a view that we are in smack dab in the middle of a climate emergency, and we need to mobilize basically in a way which echoes the way mobilization occurred during the Second World War. 
Bryony Edwards, welcome to Dirt Radio. Thanks very much, John. Cli- the climate emergency campaigning. What What is climate, climate emergency campaigning and how does it differ from other types of climate campaigning? Um, I think I'll paraphrase Philip Sutton here and he's a long-time climate emergency campaigner who initially introduced the idea of mobilising like it's World War II. And he was saying recently that the the, norm, the regular climate movement, the mainstream climate movement and NGOs, uh, like it's the late 1980s, we've just really learned about global warming, everyone's become aware of it, and we've worked out we need to progressively reduce our emissions over the next few decades. They're still acting like that while where it is the future now and we're amidst those tipping points. So we need to do a hell of a lot more than gradually reduce our emissions over the next few decades. So um, I think climate emergency campaigning or the idea of climate emergency says that we need to need to get to zero emissions, but we need to do it as quickly as possible. And, you know, you would have heard of beyond zero emissions. Of course. That's another – there's a lot of these – these solutions ideas have come out of Melbourne and that's internationally, they've come out of Melbourne. Um, So Beyond Zero Emissions is is a Melbourne NGO that's worked on 10-year transition plans to get to obviously Beyond Zero Emissions. The first one that came out was in 2010, Stationary Energy Plan, launched by Malcolm Turnbull. Um, And it was costed, it was based on Uh, technology that was available at the time that has progressed a long way since then. It had all these academic minds around the country involved in it, peer-reviewed, etc. So we do it very quickly. Um, We also, because we've got, we haven't just cut down trees and released that carbon, we've also released all the fossil fuel carbon and that's our Mm -hmm. main problem. So we need to get that out of the air. We need to draw down. We need to go to negative emissions, essentially. Mm -hmm. That would take a longer period because a lot of that involves land use and of course we use land to grow food Mm, and mm, all these mm. other things Um, you know big part of that is our diet um, what we expect to eat and how we expect it you know and how it's grown Um, and then the other the other sort of um, platform the other pillar of climate emergency is the mobilization we are not going to get these changes in a neoliberal economy with some in carrots and carrots here and there. So it really is talking about, you know, if you think about the US, the US was adamant they weren't going to get involved in World War II. Mm-hmm. But then, they, you know, they saw no why not yep. to. So, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Look, uh, it's, it's extremely interesting and, and you know, that, that's, that's my thinking as well at, yeah. at this point. If things are as critical, and I read you my list from last week and I'm going to yeah. have another one this week and I'm sure you're going to have another yeah. one as well. What what is the what is the climate emergency declaration? That's something that you okay. you you wanted to discuss. Yes. Yeah, so um, this is one of the tools. So we've we've been solutions. There's a lot of the climate emergency campaigners have been solution focused, saying when you present the big scary picture, the big scary problem, you also need to have the solutions to go in with it. Otherwise, people despair and turn mm. away. So. But now we've come across. Well, how do we activate people? You know, as in the US in World War Two, how do we say? come on, this is the turning point, this is where we start right now, and that's the Climate Emergency Declaration. So there's a few circulating. Um, there's the Climate Emergency Petition, which, which you know, you just put your signature to. We want to uh, introduce or uh, present 10,000 at least, sig- uh, sorry, 100,000 signatures to Parliament. But then we're, the declaration is also being introduced at all levels of government to candidates and uh, sitting MPs and so on. And so far, four 
federal Labor MPs have signed it. Now, this really says draw down um, uh, as, as soon as possible, you know, totally goes against what Labor current yes. policy is and draw down and that we need to, that there's words around mobilisation. Where, where are these candidates? <clears throat> that where, where are the Labor so people? So there's, there's um, David Feeney. Ah, yes, yes, yes. There's um, Peter Khalil. Peter Khalil. And then there's two they've New come South out, Wales. Yeah, they've come senators. out against the Donny Mine exactly. as well. And they're also people, <coughs> I, I got to, you know, got to throw the politics in here. They're also, they, at least as far as I know, they're two people who are very threatened by the Greens. Exactly. The well, that's why we need to play politics. You know, yeah, that's course. why you cannot leave the political sure. side out of it. So, And also, just to go back to the declaration, the declaration is not just Australia. It, and my understanding is that the declaration is a global thing as it well. Is, is that yeah. right? So I know in the US, and I also know Philip Sutton had, was involved in this. So the declaration, there's a group climate mobilisation in the US. They were working with Bernie Sanders and they got the climate emergency language into the Democratic National Platform. Mm. Um so, of course, they they were all read up to go once, you know, they thought Clinton would be elected and completely deflated once Trump was and they're going, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. So they're working at the local level and trying to get, as we are here, working with local governments, trying to get traction there. You get traction where you can and then try and move that's sideways was, and upwards. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say because... I mean, the thing that you mentioned, and I think this is this is a huge, huge, enormous stumbling block, at mm-hmm. least in my experience, is you you can present a big picture, and that's what we're. Tr- I mean, that's what I've been thinking about the past week, the, mm-hmm. the big picture. But it is terrifying, and in a sense, it's very difficult to pe- to have people engage in that because you you do f- be f- end up feeling very powerless. You mm-hmm. need to. How do you balance that big picture kind of stuff that we've been talking about today on Dirt Radio? With the fact that people are going about their ordinary lives, and how do you yeah. how do you kind of connect those two things? I think that's a really big issue. Okay, there's two things I'll say. Um, one is if you how you you vanquish that despair is that's that you get good, you good way to put it. Yes, yeah. vanquish the despair. <laughs> I like that. Yes, yes, is that you get active. Yes. And so I, my psychology is actually for someone who looks at this stuff all the time. Yes. And my my partner is the same, Adrian Whitehead. We look at this stuff a lot. We talk about it all the time, but we're active. So our psychology is actually pretty, you know, bounces along. Mm. When you you get a real real highs out of the wins you get, even and it could just be a conversation, you know, the, the because you have a lot of conversations with people and they see the light and so on. So yes. that's one thing you do. Yep. The other thing is that um, NGOs, they, so it's, look at Adani, that is, they campaign on discrete issues, but they don't put it in the bigger picture of climate emergency and climate catastrophe. Mm, mm. So that's what they need to be doing. They say, oh, we need to stop. Um, close this mine because it's like no, the, the the ultimate reason is that we're in a climate emergency yes. and that there can be no more coal and mm. we need to change mm. our whole economic system to stop this from being an issue mm. in the future. Yeah, look, that's that's a really, again, you've raised an extremely important, like Adani thing is very public. Mm-hmm. It's been right out there. It's right at the, right at the edge of stuff. It's jump making that jump yeah. from that to, to the, yeah. To the big issue. So, so a lot of the NGOs that are involved in that, they, they campaign, you know, fantastic campaigns, mm-hmm. 
but they're saying zero emissions by 2050. I mean, that is just ridiculous. Mm, 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 mm. It's, it's a death sentence, and it's no wonder that the public is confused. Now, just to finish off, you, you want people to get involved, and how, how do people get involved in the climate emergency campaign? You've got a few things happening okay. at the moment. Okay, so this week um, we're running forums, and I'll, I'll say, so my partner and I um, have set up a little makeshift organisation called Case Community Action in the Climate Emergency, and it's a way for people to get involved with a number of things going on in around Melbourne. These are loosely affiliated groups, and um, so presenting, we have um, at these at these forums. Uh, the next one is uh, Alfington Bowls Club Thursday night at six thirty. There's you know a lot of speakers speaking. They get ten minutes each. So there's Philip Sutton. There's um, Adrian Whitehead. There's Darabin Climate Action Now, um, Beyond Zero Emissions, um, and there's uh, there's also the kind of food part of it as well and there's ways to get involved with the different groups that are presenting mm, there yeah. but you the the case website which is still under construction but it does have some yeah, stuff there whoop. is uh, so community uh on facebook it's community action in the climate emergency and and it's case right. okay we'll put that one. definitely put that on our dirt radio facebook page Thank as well and, and, our, and also on our website as uh, for the podcast as well so we'll try and get that out as much as uh, information as much as we can and thank you so much for coming into dirt radio today because i'd like to catch up with you six months from now Fantastic. and see if we vanquished at least <laughs> uh, at least pushed it back a little bit so i've been talking there with Bryony Edwards, and she is with the climate emergency she is a climate emergency campaigner she runs as a Save the Planet candidate in state and council elections. And as you heard, we will put the information back up about the workshops and the links with our 3CR Dirt Radio website. And you are with Dirt Radio.